Happy Friday, everybody. This is Sarah Jacobs uh, coming from you to you live from Photo Shelter headquarters here in New York City. Um, I'm here with our CEO, Andrew Fingerman. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's my uh, second second time coming back, so it must mean you like me the first time, or at least Alan did. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be your co-pilot this time around. <laughs> Good. Yes, Alan. Alan approved. Alan is actually out on vacation right now. He's in France. Is that right? Somewhere between London and France. London and Paris at the moment. Somewhere between London and France. That's true. He did a happy hour for us in London and met a bunch of photographers last night. And um, via Twitter, it sounds like it went pretty well. Yeah. So they, that's good. We sent him to all the glamorous places. Yeah, we do. I know. Oh, man. Well, this is the April 18th, 18th edition of I Love Photography. And for those who are watching on video, just so you know, this is also available via a podcast on iTunes. Just search I Love Photography. And for those of you that are listening via podcast, just know that this is also broadcast live via YouTube every Friday at noon. We're also on Twitter, so tweet at us, uh, I Love Photo, to tweet any of your opinions or anything you want us to talk about, and we'll be watching that. Um, but let's dive right in with this week's news. Uh, we'll start with the Pulitzer Prize um, winners in the photography categories, which was the New York Times. Yeah, definitely excited to see the New York Times bring home bring home two two Pulitzers in this case. It was um, breaking news um, for Tyler Hicks and a feature photo for Josh Hayner. Yes, yes. So happy that staff photographers um, got awarded these prizes because it you know it brings out the importance of having staff photographers. You know, I mean. You don't see the Chicago Sun getting these awards. Yeah. They now don't have any staff photographers. <laughs> yeah. So that's not great. But um, yeah, I, I think um, the, uh, the Hicks images, I don't know if you looked through these, Andrew, but the Hicks images of the Nairobi mall uh, terrorist attacks were just terrifying. Um, yeah. I, I actually, um, I mean, they were, they were you know, upfront, in your face, terrifying, and the access that he had was incredible. I had a really uh, awesome opportunity, Sarah, to attend the uh, National Geographic Photo Seminar this year, and Tyler was one of the speakers, and he talked about this this moment, and um, even just in hearing his retelling of it, it, it was as as gripping as the photos, as he was kind of going through the photos and. Um, one of the things that struck me it's the, at the very beginning of the story, it, it tells you a lot about his character. He uh, he was just like, you know, he wasn't assigned to cover this event at all. He he, you know, this is in his hometown. This is where he lives, and uh, he was just kind of out and about doing something normal that he does, you know, through the day. And he saw that something was going on at the mall, and he was on the phone with his wife, and he said, you know, something's going on at the mall. I'm going in. You know, and wow. any one of us, like, you know, I know at least myself, <laughs> like, something's going on the, at the mall and it looks violent. I'm getting that out of it. <laughs> yes. So, it, you know, it speaks to his character and, and the things that, um, you know, conflict photographers, but also just, you know, news feature, for breaking news photographers need to do to, you know, capture a moment like this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're totally in a different headspace than... I think the rest of <laughs> of the world, you know. I mean, he 
Tyler gave an interview with James Estrin on the New York Lens blog later that day, just after the events, you know? So he didn't even, you know, he probably didn't even have that much time to process what he had seen or looked through his photos, but, you know, got on the phone with James and gave an interview that day, which I think just shows, you know, that they're just in a completely different state of mind. It's, it's really incredible. Um, I also think the Josh Hainer um, look at the the man that whose legs uh, got blown off in the Boston bombings. Um, I think this story is super important, um, you know, to show that that healing process. I know a lot of Bostonians, um, you know, they they've come up with this Boston Strong tagline, and some some people in Boston, I think, are a little like, but have we healed? Are we stronger? You know, they're, they, they've questioned it. And I think awarding a story that shows the healing process is a, is a clear sign that, you know, journalists are watching um, and they're documenting that, that Boston is stronger and that they're going to heal. And so I think that it's really great that that story won. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you could probably click through some of the images in the, in one of those first few paragraphs. There's a, a yeah. link to the actual story, and it's a it's a really big, nice slideshow. Um, and I think you know, actually, I, I had the opportunity to meet Josh earlier this year too, um, ahead of the Olympics, and uh, they did some. The New York Times did just amazing coverage at the at the Winter Olympics too, and he, he was involved with that. Um, so I'm kind of enamored by by Josh's work. Um, the the thing with with the Boston story, and, and you know, I didn't I didn't pick up on that, and I think you're totally right about the, you know, it's not just this one individual's healing process, but it's kind of a proxy for the town itself. Mm -hmm. And um, it was so unbelievably the access that he had was so unbelievably personable, personal. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you saw, you know, moments of happiness that. You know, the victim was able to kind of regain these moments of happiness and spending time with his family and you know, having a catch outside um, despite having this life-altering moment. And, and then at the same time, some moments of absolute despair where you know, the day-to-day -day rehabilitation is just so difficult and traumatic and it makes you just, you know, the, the photos are so em empathic. Mm -hmm. That is really just very powerful work. So I'm 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 really glad that Josh was recognized for this. Yeah, I know. I know. In the interview with Lens, he definitely talks about those moments when he decided not to click the camera, and just how important it is to you know be thoughtful like that when you're documenting someone's healing long-term healing process like this. So um, that was just a great great coverage. Also, along the same lines of the the Boston bombings. You pulled up Photo Brigade's podcast with Gregory Hessler, who just went and shot uh, Bostonians at the finish line. Yeah, this was really special. So this was for uh, this cover of Sports Illustrated. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, <clears throat> you absolutely should. It's, uh, this is actually a celebration, this photo. It's um, you know, a celebration of Boston Strong. It's, it's they've, you know, they've, how the town itself has come together and recovered a year later at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, uh, you know the the moment, the, the the place where this tragic moment occurred, and um, and Gregory and uh, Brad Smith worked together. Uh, Brad's the the um, director of photography at Sports Illustrated to uh, assemble. I think it's over 3,000 Bostonians for this 
for this amazing book. <laughs> wow. And, wow. Um, and in the in the podcast with Robert Kaplan, um, which you can get at uh, photobrigade.com, or you can actually th those those podcasts are available on iTunes as well, and, and it's just a phenomenal resource, but I'll talk about that later. But uh, Greg, Gregory talks about uh, not, not just this, but a lot of, a lot of very inspiring career-related stuff. Greg, Gregory, for those of you that don't know him, and I see Sarah is pulling his, his book up, uh, you should absolutely get this book. Uh, Gregory is one, he's one of the iconic portrait photographers of our time, and, um, and it, it, it's just an absolute gift to hear him speak. Um, but the, the the, actually, on the Sports Illustrated website, they have a video of the behind-the-scenes um, shooting of this this you know, group portrait, and it's really well worth watching. And there's so much positivity in this moment, um, and and you see Gregory with his megaphone getting everybody ready for the shot, and uh, and it's just something to really enjoy, um, and just in terms of you know how they brought this energy together to celebrate a year after something very tragic happened. Um, and, you know, it wasn't this solemn, silent moment, but it was actually a celebration. And, yeah. um, and then the other cool thing is, I think somewhere else on the SI site, there's a GigaPan um, tool where you can actually, you know, drill, <laughs> drill into the tiniest little face. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yep. Wow, you can find yourself. Yeah. And wow. It's a little bit of a you know fun little gadget to play with. So, oh, that's fun. Uh, I think I really like how they tied together a lot of different media on this. They have the behind the scenes video, they have the gigapan, yeah. Uh, obviously the cover, um, and and then you know to kind of take things full circle. Um, the first time I learned about this shoot was via Instagram when they were setting it up, because uh, Brad and Robert Kaplan were both uh, Instagramming the setup of it. And so, uh, so it was nice. It was really nice to have that like story behind the story. Yeah. One. Oh, that's great. That's that's good. Yeah, they made the process very inclusive. Obviously, they wanted Bostonians, you know, to come out and show show face. And I'm so glad that they didn't, you know, they didn't move the fi finish line to a different location. It, you know, it's in the same uh, spot on Boylston. So that's all good. Go Boston. <laughs> I will say go Boston, even though I'm a Yankees and Giants. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay to say go Boston. <laughs> yeah, in this moment it is. Um, up next we've got Benjamin Lowy, who, I mean, if you don't follow this photojournalist on Instagram, then you're not doing Instagram right, basically. Um, I mean, he does amazing iPhone photography and posts it all on his account, and um, and he's the one who shot Time Magazine's first ever iPhone Instagram cover of Hurricane Sandy. And, you know, that was back in 2012. I feel like time has moved by so fast, but, like, that was almost two years ago now. So when Benjamin, you know, says, you know, I'm getting kind of bored of Instagram, it sort of makes sense. I mean, he sort of won Instagram. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, at the same time, um, it's, a, it's a little sad to hear because this stuff shouldn't be moving that like trends like this shouldn't be moving this quickly, uh -huh. and and I'm I'm feeling it too. I'm feeling a little, uh, you know, and from a different perspective. I'm an Instagram consumer, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah, you know, I, I share. But you're gonna see my my photos of my barbecue and my children. <laughs> uh, but the even even you know, whereas like I would 
kind of, I was so drawn to it that every kind of down moment when I was riding the train or waiting online at the grocery store or whatever, I was just, you know, seeing what the latest update was. How can I, you know, take in the world through the eyes of everybody else that I'm following? And it is getting a little old. It, I, I can't explain why. It's just, it's getting a little bored. It, it is. It's getting a little tired. Yeah. And, and Ben definitely agrees, I think, and I think it's important for photographers to, you know, listen to the masters like this. This is a clear sign that something else is going to come, and I don't know if it's going to be Instagram making technology changes within their own app or another app altogether. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'd love to see the engagement statistics to say if, you know, we're, we're photo people, right? So mm -hmm. um, there's people that I know that haven't even found their way to Instagram yet, Oh wow! Joining now, right? They're, you know, and and they're they they're you know like dads and moms and friends of of mine in you know other other circles, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and so they're just finding their way there, and so maybe you know maybe as it's continually going mainstream, uh, it's you know things are diluting a little bit, but I don't know if if like overall engagement is dropping off. I still think. So I think it's it's a great vehicle to you know engage and build audience and you know get found by people and get your photography across other people's you know eyes, but um, yeah maybe maybe there will be another platform you know there there's I think Instagram is being used for so many different things right now you know personal photo sharing you know platform for news sharing uh, right and and you know and and as Ben says you know what what's What's the next thing that's going to break down one more gate and and engage people? Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be something else. It will. It will. Well, he, he jokes in this interview with, with Filter that he might just start going under a different name and, and posting photos of his brunch. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think, you know, his point was that you become a slave to this number of followers. Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, there was this great land grab to build followers, and the photographers who have extreme followership are truly benefiting from it in ways that gets them hired, right? Like, so, so the, the team that got hired to do the elections and uh, the team that got hired to Instagram behind the scenes at the Super Bowl and, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, or you know, Fashion Week. But that, that kind of, you know, building lots of followers while you can monetize that and turn that into work, it's also... Like the same thing that happened with blogs, really, where like suddenly you think you have to sort of perform for this audience of yours, and you, and there's an expectation that you have to meet, and right. you can't have as much fun with it as you might might have once had, and right. that's that's sad. You know, sometimes you just want to <laughs> share that photo of the great chicken dish you made. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I hope Ben does not get off an Instagram or doesn't start going under a different name. Ben, you take two great of photos. Don't leave us hanging. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So, uh, Andrew, did you stay up for the blood moon this week? <laughs> um, I think I did, but I think I was also finishing my taxes. So. Oh gosh. <laughs> a, a much more traumatic or once in a lifetime type. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I actually didn't see it uh, with my own eyes, but I, okay. I saw it on Instagram, I'll tell you that. Yeah, exactly. No, me, me too. I definitely didn't stay up for it, but luckily some good photographers did, including uh, a Texan photographer, Mike Mazul, 
um, whose image actually popped up on my Instagram feed that next morning uh, through I Love Texas Photos Instagram. Oh, wow. And it's a beautiful time lapse of the moon during the stages of the night over this landscape of blue bonnets. So immediately I was like, oh, that's somewhere near Texas. It's right outside of Dallas and Ennis. Um, and here on Petapixel, he talks about how he got this shot, which he was out there for seven hours, which is just insane, um, using his Nikon D800. And he used a 24 millimeter lens to get the landscape. And then to capture the moon transitions, he used a 200 millimeter lens. And he took a picture every 10 minutes and then compiled this beautiful time lapse photo. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, it's funny, the, uh, the track of the moon, it reminds me of those, um, you know, and they're kind of kitschy, but those motocross photos where they'll like, you know, do, do the same exact thing where you see the, you know, it's, it's a composite of the, you know, the jumping motorcyclist. Yes, like, yes, yes. Yeah, they're like the ski jumper. <laughs> right, going, going, making that jump and then making the land perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally, totally. Well, good job, Mike. We liked it. Yeah. We thought it was pretty. Blood Moon was cool. Blood Moon was very, very cool. Alex McLand's shots of land from above. So these images by Alex um, are just aerial shots. They're very simple. Aerial shots um, that just show the crazy patterns of civilization, basically. They, they result in kind of this layered, textured patterns. Um, and I saw the images, and I was like, well, how is this guy getting these aerial shots? Is he, like, hiring a, you know, person to take him up in a helicopter, you know? But it, it turns out that this photographer is also a pilot, um, not for commercial flights or anything, but he, talk about multitasking, I mean, he's flying the plane and leaning over through the window to take, to take these pictures, and he's been doing it since, like, uh, he got his license in the 70s, so... He's been doing it for a while and has compiled a, a great collection of these aerial images of, you know, pe both people and um, homes and yeah, I think the, wildlife. The coolest thing that I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for pattern like this. Really? You know, it's like I guess pattern, but also like the symmetry and the way that you know things things that create kind of you know th these spaces kind of relate to each other that you wouldn't necessarily catch, you know, like a neighborhood, right? Right. Like, like these neighborhoods from above where you're like, whoa, you know, everything is so well organized. And um, <laughs> for some reason this was evocative for me of, um, back when I was at American Express, I, we, we were in um, one of the World Financial Center towers that overlooked uh, the rebuilding at Ground Zero, the September 11th site. And um, you know now in, in New York, it's it's kind of like we take it for granted. We see the um, the one, one World Trade Center. I think that's what they're calling it now. Yeah, One World. Tower. Mm -hmm. And um, but back when you know, it was kind of the ongoing excavation and then the foundation building phase, there were literally you know, and and you could be up on the thirtieth floor of my building looking down into what was going on there. And there were all these things happening at once, um, and you know, teams upon teams upon teams of construction workers, all doing their little piece of the project. And this monumental project 
somebody knows how all those little pieces come together. And you only really get an appreciation for like almost the choreography of this thing. <laughs> looking, looking up from down below, you know, looking down from from high up above. Yeah, this is kind of, you know, it just reminded me of that too, where it's like, you know, someone somewhere, a planner or an architect or, you know, somebody that's good at spatial relations, because I'm not, <laughs> knew exactly what they were doing when they put this neighborhood together or the solar panel site, and uh, you can really appreciate that from photos like this. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's gotten a ton. I mean, and it's wonderful. And if you're into if you're into landscape, um, excuse me, aerial photography, definitely follow Alex on Instagram. He's at landslides. Which Alex, I hope that's a Fleetwood Mac reference because <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, okay, now entering the drone slash quadcopter section of the show because if we don't bring up drone quadcopters, it's weird. We always have to bring it up every week. <laughs> um, this week we found a great video taken um, by Randy, Randy Scott Slavin um, of New York City. He's flying through New York City with a quadcopter. It looks like summertime. The trees are all green. It, it's just gorgeous. I mean, I've never seen New York City like this. Um, and he put it he put it into a two-minute video, compiled the, the footage, edited it down, and, you know, he put this sort of, like, cheesy music over it, but someone in the comments put the Spider-Man-themed music below, and if you listen to the Spider-Man theme music... That's and, so cool. I totally missed that. Oh, it's incredible. Play it over his, his drone uh, footage, and it's just like, you feel like you are Spider-Man. It's pretty funny. So put on your headphones, put that on full screen, watch the Randy Scott Slave, and, and it's just the best. <laughs> um, we, of course, also have another drone topic, which is drone selfies. Uh, the Photo Jojo, one of my favorite photo blogs, um, the founder, Amit Gupta, he has been flying around his little quadcopter and he'll fly it straight into his, very close to his face, right, and then make it zoom out, which are just these very kind of fun, quirky ways of doing a selfie. Um, and I think it's kind of funny because, you know, selfie, it's very like, look at me, me, me. But these selfies, when you, you come from your face and then zoom all the way out, you kind of realize how small you are in this tiny little world. Yeah. <laughs> All the selfies being taken. <laughs> Funny, this, this one I can appreciate, and because uh, it's it really is like okay, I'm I'm doing something like innovative. It's a little cute, um, you know, taking advantage of you know, the the drone kind of medium to mm -hmm. uh, to uh, to take a selfie. Um, mm -hmm. You and I have talked before about kind of like. You know, and I guess this relates to the Instagram thing too. Like, I'm getting a little tired of the whole selfie thing, and you know, maybe the selfie itself has kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Yeah, right, right. In, in that, like, you know, when I when I get out of the subway station, and you know, the newspaper I pick up is wrapped in a advertisement from I forget who it was, like J C Penney, talking about their selfie contest, and then you know. Canon is doing a selfie contest with a point-and-shoot camera that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yes, and, I saw that. Um, and, you know, once, like, you know, it's, it's kind of, like, gone, like, super mainstream, and everybody, every corporation in America is trying to get in on the selfie thing. <laughs> like, 
yeah, you know, I'm getting a little tired of this. But yeah. um, but but this one in particular was kind of like, okay, you're having some fun and it's cool and you're using cool technology to do it. Right. Yeah. No. I'm okay with that. They get a thumbs up. They do. Yeah. Go go, Amit. That is just amazing. Look, it just zooms way out. It's the best. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, this next next piece by Adam Magyar is super slow-mo video. So he takes this video of commuters um, and slows it down 56 times slower than reality. So, and it's a 10-minute long video of these, these people going down stairs uh, in a subway station. And it's slowed down so much that it... It's not even, it's past the point of dramatic because, you know, a lot of, I mean, cinematographers, they'll use the slow-mo as kind of this, they want to create this sense of drama. But this is slowed down so much that it's almost, it's like they're barely moving and it creates this kind of, I don't even know, it's just... With, with the, you know, with the black and white, it's, um, they look very ghost-like and they're, they're like floating. People are floating. It's not, it's not like a natural walking... Yes, that's true, because you can't tell that they're stepping down. It's just like they're moving all together in a very, like, strange motion. It's, um, it, it becomes entrancing watching it. Yeah, and I think you really get the benefit when you, when you look at the video. And it's probably not, I don't know if we're able to play it on, on here. Yeah we, can, yeah, we can play a little bit of it. You imagine yourself standing in that room. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very, it's it's awesome. I really, I'd love to go see this. It's not playing now, but check that out on Fast Co-Design. Oof, okay, and then insane crappy things that weather does to your umbrella. Andrew, <laughs> I don't know if you got caught in the snowstorm, the random snowstorm we had this week. <laughs> I, uh, in, in the morning, my car was covered in it, but oh man, <laughs> after enjoying a barbecue and 70 degree weather and shorts on Sunday. It was not. <laughs> no, it wasn't a happy day. We had a lot of snow. Uh, not a lot, but a, a strange snowstorm this week in New York, um, which I got caught in. I had a crappy umbrella. It blew, you know, it turned inside out. And, you know, you realize, I was like, why is this so, like, oddly embarrassing and, and strange when it's happening to you on the street? And it's almost like your, your umbrella represents you, and it's like it can't take the weather, and so you probably, you're annoyed and you can't take the weather, and it, it becomes like a, a part of you reacting to this terrible weather, and it's just kind of embarrassing. Yeah, and you kind of have to laugh at yourself a little bit, but you know it's like, okay, the day is just going in a bad direction from here. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, um, photographer Drew Anthony Smith has always been intrigued by how many umbrellas are thrown away in New York City. Because, you know, we have these... these really cheap umbrellas, like $3 umbrellas that they sell on the street that you buy because you've got to walk to the station and, you know, you, you weren't expecting rain that day. So he did these great uh, in-studio still-life shots of just these mangled umbrellas. <laughs> they, they just look like they've gone through hell and back. Yeah, and I know people are probably thinking right now the motto, the moral of the story is don't buy cheap umbrellas. But this happens with good umbrellas too. I've lost so many good umbrellas to the you know the wire poking through in, in a rainstorm. And it's, oh man, I, I know it's like you, you start to wonder money wise which is more worth it. Yeah, you can't you can't beat a, a nice strong gust of wind. 
No, you can't. You really can't. The umbrella cannot. I also think, you know, it's probably New Yorkers' umbrellas probably take a beating, too, because nobody in New York has any sense of umbrella etiquette whatsoever. You know, when you're walking down the street and somebody is coming at you with their gargantuan golf umbrella and they don't make an effort to kind of, like, lift the umbrella just a little so that, you know, you can each pass each other cleanly without kind of having this umbrella joust. You know, oh, man all the time and it's like I feel like sometimes I'm the only person in New York that's getting their umbrella out of the way of everybody. <laughs> Take note New Yorkers, move your umbrellas up. It's annoying. We all want to we all want to get by and keep our umbrellas intact. Thank you for the umbrella jousting. <laughs> um, okay, so our very last thing today that we want to we want to talk about always something funny and this came out on Lynn's uh, Lynn's blog Dina Litowski. Um, has been photographing bachelorette parties for the past three years, and she has just gotten some gems. Um, I have never been to a bachelorette party. Andrew, I would assume no, that you also yeah. have not. <laughs> Once it's entertainment, but... Yeah. Oh, okay. No, we're joking. Yeah, I never, I never get to go to the good bachelorette parties. Oh, man, such a bummer. You need to get an invite to one of those. <laughs> um... Yeah, she's just been photographing these, you know, young women, partying it up because it's the last night of their freedom, and she's just been getting gems. I mean, these are incredibly funny, um, but also very thoughtful. You can see that she's, you know, making a lot of thoughtful decisions. She talks a lot about hiding the bride's face in some of them. I mean, the reaction shots to whatever this woman is seeing is just is just yeah. fabulous. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that that's at, what's the place in New York, Lucky Chang's? Oh, I'm not sure. Big, like, bachelorette party restaurant where it's, um, it's essentially like burlesque shows with cross-dressers, and <laughs> it's, a, it's a, like, really popular, popular venue for bachelorette parties. Oh, man. Also, wow. I've never had an opportunity to go. Um, yeah, these are great. I, I think they're a lot of fun. And um, yeah, if you look at the, you know, the age mix and the, the mom's reaction in that last one, it was just so much fun. I know. I know. I don't think I'd invite my mother to my bachelorette party. But um, yeah, these are these are thoughtful. I mean, she's exploring, you know, so many different themes like sexual exploration and also friendship between the women is really interesting to watch how the women are relating to each other and each reacting differently to whatever's happening is just a really, it's a really great exploration of, of this strange one night in your life where you get to kind of, you know, let go and, and be free. Break all the rules. Break all the rules, exactly. And it, it, it was funny in the interview, Dina says, I, I'd, keep, I'd rather keep my bachelorette party private. You know, the, the interviewer says, how was yours? You know, and Dina goes, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> So I'm sure something crazy happened on your bachelorette night, Dina. That's great. Um, well, that's all we have for this week. Andrew, thank you so much for, for joining in. My pleasure. I'm happy to pitch in anytime. I enjoy it. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll be back next week. Um, tune in Fridays at noon. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.